Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. I'm a voice of a young Malawian artist uh, living in Malawi. Um, I'm based in Malawi and I am that voice of a, of a confident African, you know, and I have a story to tell about myself, about my country, about my continent. And um, in that, I think the questions are not from me, but when people hear and see me, the questions are, what else is there in this little country? So what I try to do is to present myself so that people become curious about myself and where I'm coming from. I think poetry, spoken word, like anything, it can be just for fun. It can be, you, you can make people laugh if you're using a lot of humor. Uh, you can challenge norms, tradition, or you can just show off and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Some people say when we are born, we're born into stories. I say we're also born from stories. The captivating words of Nigerian poet, novelist and human rights activist Ben Okri. Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. Well, on tonight's show, we're going to travel to Malawi, the warm heart of Africa, to meet with a vibrant selection of writers, poets and storytellers who are experimenting with new ways of writing and paving the way for a new generation of African writers, artists and storytellers. First up, it's spoken word poet and activist, Q Malawesi. Hello, I am Q Malewezi. I'm a spoken word artist, educator, um, and I've got a, a poem titled The Rapist That I Know. The rapist that I know puts on a pious face and leaves his palace to knock on God's door as he does every Sunday, calling out to him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The sins he committed behind a curtain of silence have been forgiven behind a curtain of confession. He is told to go and sin no more, hailing Mary to our Father to pray until the next time he is led into temptation. But for now, there is nothing that stands between him and his God to keep him from taking the body and blood. Well, Q, that's quite something. Um, it's all-encompassing, it's intense, um, and it packs a lot of punch. I might get you to describe, for anyone who hasn't been to Malawi, um, where you see things. Um, this is Malawi, also known as the Warm Heart of Africa. Uh, not a coincidence that uh, it's known as the heart. Um, you know, the heart is that little organ that pumps blood to the rest of the body, and that is the role Malawi is going to play on this continent. 
Lilongwe is uh, very diverse. Uh, we've got because uh, it's 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 in the central region, so we've got people from the central region, the southern region, and the northern region, and also it has a huge uh, international community as well. So I would describe it as um, a place. If you're a dreamer, it's a place you can you know experiment with your dreams. Interesting. If you're a dreamer, but what happens if you have a lot of questions to ask the world? What happens? You ask them. <laughs> <laughs> And tell me, how does that go? Um, if you're lucky, someone will answer. Uh, if you're really lucky, it will lead to other questions and it will lead to people, other people asking questions. And hopefully in all those questions, someone will have an answer. But uh, I think one of the things about Lilongwe, you can go to any kind of public place where people are hanging out, be a total stranger, and you can get, get into conversations and find someone to talk to uh, and people won't, won't be standoffish. The rapist that I know, the, the poem that you just said, um, as I said, it's all-encompassing and it's, it's intense and um, it really gets at the heart of some of the issues facing Malawi. Um, when we were talking earlier, you, were, you mentioned some of the problems facing women and how um, sexual violence is a reality for a lot of women living in Malawi. Yes, if I'm not mistaken, um, one in four women in Malawi has experienced uh, a certain, certain aspects of sexual violence. And is that tackled, um, whether it's in the household level, in social areas and so on? Do um, Malawians talk about that? We are talking about it now. And there's more men uh, like myself coming to the forefront and talking openly about it. And what's the government doing about issues related to gender violence? Our government is doing quite a bit as well in collaboration with other development agencies um, but I think we're in a situation where as families we're expecting government to do things that we're supposed to be doing as families um, in terms of empowering it's very difficult to empower a girl outside the family structure and I feel a lot of us we're not raising our children, they're just growing. And do you think there's a space for poetry and spoken word performance to maybe tackle these issues indirectly and put it out to audiences and create a space for conversation or dialogue so that people can ask questions and maybe bring up issues that are quite uncomfortable? Um, yes, there is a space, uh, but also the bigger space is, um, I'll say, using the the traditional structures you know as much as we are in Lilongwe in the city but if you're Malawian you have a home village you have a traditional authority you belong to a, a tribal grouping you have a culture which has a, a solid structure um, and we take that very seriously and I think the conversation if we use those those avenues that have existed for a very very long time if we use our traditional authorities and uh, empower traditional authorities with the right knowledge the chiefs uh, because end of the day those are the custodians of culture so if there are certain aspects or in, in in our tradition that need to be challenged um, that is actually the best avenue so if we're talking about conversations we also need to get out of this contemporary setting and ask ourselves what actually works in Malawi have you seen a lot of change in Malawi over the last few years, do you think? There have been a lot of changes. Um, there's a growing middle class and it's young professionals now. <laughs> there's a lot more vehicles. <laughs> 
right now uh, whenever you really used to have traffic jams but that's happening now um, I'd also say there are people who are dreaming more people who are getting into the non-traditional sectors uh, such as myself uh, people who are young people who are setting up businesses and are being successful but which for me personally a pleasure to see we, we used to have this thing especially the time that I went abroad that um, it was only people who had studied outside when they came back who had all the ideas but that's that is not the case these people who were educated in Malawi went to Malawian schools and are doing amazing things in the country and I think for me that is an amazing thing to see when we were talking earlier, you said to me that, you know, Malawi is not known for its storytelling tradition and that when you're traveling around um, Africa, that, um, you know, whether you're performing in South Africa, Zimbabwe or whatever, that people are always curious, what has a Malawian spoken word artist got to say? Yes, definitely. There is a bit of a regional bias because we haven't had a lot of artists break into the international scene or even into the regional scene we've, we've, we've had very very few if we compare with uh, Zimbabwe you know you say Zimbabwe then you know names like Thomas Mafumu, Oliver Ntukudzi uh, come out South Africa there's just you know so many names Huma Sekela, Mira Makeba you know so th these countries are known for producing amazing artists when it comes to Malawi yeah, we, we have sort of been the laughing stock in the region. So when I've had the opportunity to perform at festivals, it's always been, you know, like, oh, oh, so you're the guy from Malawi. Oh, this would be interesting. Um, I even had one of the most terrible introductions at a festival in South Africa because, because of Chichewa, because of our language, we hardly differentiate between L's and R's. So, and I think people in the region know that. So my introduction was, oh, welcome to the stage, the poet from Marawi, you know, and everybody laughed. <laughs> but um, presumably that you can take those biases and turn it around and throw a few questions back at the audience and really um, get, the, get the measure people. That's always priceless, seeing the looks on their faces. <laughs> yeah. So, so what type of questions are you putting out there? Um... Questions are about identity. I think personally for me, I'm a voice of a young Malawian artist uh, living in Malawi. Um, I'm based in Malawi. And I am that voice of a, of a confident African, you know. And I have a story to tell about myself, about my country, about my continent. And um, in that, I think the questions are not from me, but when people hear and see me, the questions are, is that what else is there in this little country? So what I try to do is to present myself so that people become curious about myself and where I'm coming from. And how difficult is it for um, young Malawian writers, artists, performers to get established? I know, as you said, you were part of a very successful rap band and you toured all over the place. So you had established your voice and your identity and people knew who you were as you started introducing some of your poetry. But presumably for other artists, depending if they're from rural areas, things can be very difficult. Yes, they are very difficult. I think uh, one of the challenges is um, spaces where artists can go and perform and be seen and heard. Um, but also ourselves, and I'm not going to take myself out of the equation. Um, there's a lot of um, copying. So a lot of artists are finding their voice in someone else's voice. Um, which is a big challenge. So there's a lot of copycats that are coming out. I think once we get past that, 
and 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 our poets and artists um, are being authentic in in terms of of their voice then I think doors are going to open. Malawi is facing a massive population explosion, also dealing with issues like climate change, issues related to gender parity and equality. How are you tackling these types of problems? Um, specifically, I haven't tackled much on climate change, but I'm doing a lot in terms of um, uh, the gender issues, specifically sexual violence, uh, male privilege, patriarchy, and actually my the show that I'm doing now, Unapologetic, is about that. Yeah. And presumably that puts you in a very direct and intimate uh, relationship with the audience, does it? Yes, definitely. Um, and I, I did a, a poem called the Unapologetic Apology, which is sort of an, an apology to women. Um, and what that did, but actually the the target of the poem is men. Um, so the last so the last stanza uh, says, "I'm sorry for this apology for its irony, uh, because that my fellow men will probably listen to what you've been saying all along simply because it's now being said by their fellow man." Um, so it tackles so many different issues in terms of uh, gender bias, sexual violence, and that has incited good debate and I've gotten amazing feedback from men who've heard the poem who just had no idea what male privilege was yeah isn't it amazing to think that here you are in the long way or whether you go to Blanter or further field that by one performance how that can engender change in culture or that how that can for different men and women in an audience that can make people reflect on maybe the changes that they need to make it is um but I think that in itself, it's all well and good. Uh, I think the question is, how do we make sure that the conversations are continuing? Um, and, you know, is it the role of the artist or the poet to make sure that those, those conversations are continuing? Uh, or have we done enough? Yeah. I think, I'm sure, not just for myself, but a lot of other people in this situation, that is a question that we're struggling with. That is it enough? Are we doing enough? But is poetry and spoken word, is that not all political in some way or other? And does it have to be? Um, I think poetry, spoken word, like anything, it can be just for fun. It can be, you, you can make people laugh if you're using a lot of humor. Uh, you can challenge norms, tradition. Um, or you could just show off, yeah. and there's, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> well, can I get you to show off if you wouldn't mind? <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay, let's see. Uh, this is a piece titled True Not Real. Um, it was written 10 years ago. I'll, I'll just do the first stanza. Injustice just is as she walks 10 miles, baby on back plus bleeding son in her arms. No first aid for she's a third citizen in a third world state. No band aid so they cover his wound in red tape as they help themselves to the first world aid, compiling stats in annual reports at the lake, reducing her to nothing but a nameless and faceless figure on page eight, talking about how much of her poverty they alleviate. Well, Q, that's quite something. It's intense, but you, um, you're putting a lot out there, aren't you? Yes. And Temi, you have um, advocated um, at national level. You've sat down with the Malawian uh, government and spoken about some of the challenges that artists face and, um, and tried to kind of carve out a meaningful dialogue with government and what needs to happen, what needs to take conversations forward. 
when you recite a poem like this and you get up, what happens? Because presumably that makes everyone in the room uncomfortable. Um, not necessarily. Um, one thing I've been privileged to realize is the access that the, the platforms I performed at have given me uh, on a one-to-one -one with the people who are expecting to be un uncomfortable with my content are the same people who are facing the same frustrations. Mm -hmm. So they know what's going on. And there's been instances where I'm supposed to be on a program, but there wasn't time and I was, uh, I w I was taken off. Uh, I've had text messages from even some of the government ministers saying, why aren't you performing? <laughs> so you're doing very well now. You're involved in lots of areas of the arts. You're performing all across Africa. What is the next step? And um, where do you see, um, whether it's spoken word poetry, live performance, where do you see all of that in the next 10 to 20 years? And what types of issues will it be tackling? Um, I'm not necessarily looking at uh, the poetry itself. I think for me, the next five years specifically is to be involved in the establishment of art spaces, especially in the city of Lilongwe. Um, I'm making plans to construct our own arts venue, uh, but also to work with the city council to say, look, to look at the spaces that we have. Uh, can we rehabilitate some of them? Uh, can we convert some of the spaces? Or do we also need to build um, some new spaces? Um, also, I've got a very good relationship with the Copyright Society of Malawi, and uh, they've got a very ambitious project in terms of uh, building an art school and also a nice venue that is accessible for artists. So I think my vision for the arts is, is that, is spaces, is opportunities for artists, not necessarily for myself in terms of my content where I want to be, but I think I will feel good if there are a thousand of other artists who have had the same opportunities that I've had. And are you hopeful that that will happen? It will happen.
Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. And you're very welcome back to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. Well, on tonight's show, we're travelling to Malawi, the warm heart of Africa, to meet with an exciting range of writers, poets and education activists who are challenging cultural norms and practices and by doing so are driving much-needed social change in the country. Next up, it's Gray Niali, the Chief Librarian at the National Library Service of Malawi. I caught up with Gray on a busy Wednesday afternoon at the library. My name is uh, Gray Nyari. Um, I'm the National Librarian or Chief Executive of the National Library. We are at the headquarters. This is our headquarters building. And um, we have uh, 18 other outlets out there. But uh, we're headquartered here in Lilongwe, in Lilongwe, Malawi City Centre. Great. It is an enormous pleasure to be walking around your library today. Um, what was so interesting was earlier this afternoon, I walked into the children's um, library section and there was loads of very excited children happily reading. Some were joined by their mothers. And mm. um, there was another part of the library where there, there was so many teenagers and boys and girls reading very quietly and there was lots of concentration going on. Yes, that's typical of this library. Uh, people really come to read, as, especially when they are preparing for their exams. Would it be fair to describe the library here as an, almost a refuge for the citizens of uh, Lalongwe in terms of it's a safe place to come, it's a calm place to come and um, there's a world of ideas waiting for anyone who has an interest in reading. It's a very safe place, actually. It's a safe refuge for most of the people that, that live in Lilongwe and the surrounding areas. And um, Lilongwe is uh, particularly lucky because apart from having this particular library building, we have uh, other sites within Lilongwe, other than the other cities of Blant and the... But, um, Lilongwe has four sites for the National Library. And I know that you have a mobile uh, library van which goes uh, all across the country to the rural areas to provide reading material for families and communities who either don't have access to books or also can't afford uh, to pay for transport to come into any of the main libraries. Can you tell me about that? Yes, this mobile library was... um, an idea that uh, we launched in 2013. And uh, the idea being was that uh, we started as a pilot here in the central region. We wanted to pilot the central region and see whether it would be successful. And indeed, it proved to be successful. We were able to reach out to most of the schools in Lilongwe using that mobile van. And uh, we engaged the government to help us to procure more vans so that uh, each regions, each region of this country should have its own mobile van. But unfortunately, due to financial problems, that has not yet happened. Do you think it's fair to say it's providing a lifeline to some marginalised and rural communities? Yes, it provides a lifeline to people who would, would not have really have um, an opportunity to access books. 
I was walking around the old town and the old city yeah. earlier today in uh, Lelongwe. I saw one bookshop. Mm-hmm. So that tells you um, how important the library service is for uh, Malawi. Yes, the library is very important because not many people can afford to buy books of their own. Whilst as if you have a library, you go and borrow, you read the book and then you return it. And then somebody else will come and go and read the same book. I saw two young girls holding um, books very tightly mm. as they were walking around mm. and um, they were going then to check the books out. Mm. But I imagine though that on any given day of the week, there may be not as many stocks of books there given um, the demands on the library. Yes, the, the, there is a challenge because um, the number of books and uh, also the population, we find that we don't have enough books for all of them. So there are times when we have challenges where maybe some very critical titles may not be readily available in many numbers. And you mentioned earlier about the storytelling and folklore project that you're doing all across Malawi. Yeah. So you are gathering um, old stories from different communities or different tribes, is it? Yeah, from tri- different tribes. Actually, this, these are recordings of folktales from all the tribes across the, the country. We are working with the Malawi National Commission for UNESCO. So at the moment, what we collected is about 300 folktales that we have kept in this library. And are there patterns in those folktales? For example, I imagine some are about loss and grief and bereavement. Others could be about love and marriage and others could be about travel and life journeying. I imagine there's different lessons within those stories, is there? Yes, there are lots of lessons in there. Loss, grief, as you're saying, and uh, some are for about happiness, others about wedding. But uh, people enjoy these folktales because uh, once in a while we we do have them shown downstairs. And do you think that tradition will last when we're seeing now um, so much technology uh, equipping, whether it's e-readers, um, we're seeing lots of different developments. Do you think that Malawi will hold on to that um, folklore and storytelling tradition or the oral tradition and pass it down through the generations? There is a danger to that as well. And it's something that we really have to make sure that uh, maybe that's why we even decided to preserve these ones because um, with the coming of internet and um, this uh, the world is becoming a global village and uh, in most cases most of the traditional beliefs and cultures and all that uh, seem to be dying out and um, it's very important that as Malawi we document what was really our own, like Malawi, what was it that people believed in, so that uh, the, peop- the people the po- for posterity, the people in future sh- ought to get to know what this country was all about. Because uh, if we move on to the first world, like internet, then uh, it will be very difficult for, um, let's say, my grandchildren get to know that there were folktales about the tortoise because uh, they may not even see the tortoise because uh, most of the things are changing so fast. Yeah, the whole world is some sort of, um, with the coming of internet and uh, the fast-moving media, 
things are changing so fast that uh, you we may tend to leave out those things that people feel are undesirable to the desirable ones. And those stories would have sustained generations of Malawans through the centuries, wouldn't they have? They would have, in terms of lessons. What we need is the, maybe an equivalent of what kind of lessons would we be drawing from similar settings. Because, uh, for, for example, when I was growing up, what it meant is uh, my, my parents would tell me some sort of a folktale so that I learn out of it. But uh, maybe the same folktale, I cannot manage to tell it to my son because the times have changed. You know, it's very difficult to relate to what is happening now, you know, than uh, what used to happen when we were growing up as young people in Malawi. With the coming of the Internet, you know, the technology has taken over from most of the things that we used to value. And then uh, people are moving forth now, moving forth fast. You find that even if you go out there in the, sea, in, in the, in the towns, everybody is using Internet. And it's almost that technology has become the new religion. It's becoming a yeah, indeed, yes, it's becoming a new religion. And Temi Gray, in 10 to 20 years' time, do you think Malawi will still experience huge divides between the urban and the, uh, rural areas? Because cities like Lilongwe, the capital, and Blanter, the financial capital, and some of the other towns are thriving, full of people, lots of facilities, lots of cars, and so on. But when you go to the rural areas, it's very, very different. So do you think possibly in, in our lifetime that we will see a more inclusive development within Malawi and whether it's instead of a mobile library service, that whether it's right up in the north, right on the border with Tanzania or maybe down south um, on the borders with Mozambique, that we will have libraries and books and ideas available to boys and girls? What we need is to come up with um, a new model that could fit this particular setting, something that would work in this particular setting. Because um, then it was like um, the world was divided into rural and urban. But uh, over time, what is happening is that uh, people who are in the um, uh, uh, who were in the rural areas are now moving to the urban areas. Y you can see, even here in Malawi, most people are now leaving the rural areas, moving into the urban areas for no particular reason. Probably they are looking, looking for jobs, others for looking for manual work and all that. We really need to come up with a new paradigm, a new model of life so that uh, it can fit in. Otherwise, I think there's going to be confusion all over. And that was Grainy Alley from the International Library Service of Malawi. Incidentally, BookAid International has been supporting libraries in Malawi since 1962. OK, let's change the scene a bit and head down south to Blantyr, the second city of Malawi, and hear how the women of Malawi are getting their voices heard. Uh, thank you very much, Susan. I'm Rhoda Zulu uh, from Malawi. I work with the Story Workshop Educational Trust. My key role is in community mobilisation, but I'm an active writer. I write for both uh, uh, professional as well as the social. Um, I also write a lot of poems. I'm uh, very active with the uh, Malawi Writers Union, Pen International. I'm in the translation committee of the Pen International. 
And I also send some of my stories on my blog page. You'll find them on my blog page, um, rosulu at gmail.com. And also contribute to Makewana Forum. Makewana is a forum which is uh, based uh, in Zomba at Chancellor College. There's a woman who started that forum to say, women, your voices are not being heard. Most of you are not writing. So what should we do? So let's create a forum for women to voice out the stories that they have. So I also send some of my stories there. Um, basically, that's what I can say. I have five children. They're all adults. <laughs> Rhoda, we're sitting in the grounds here uh, and the lovely, beautiful gardens of the Story Workshop here in Blanchard. It's the second city of Malawi. And I was reading um, one of your stories earlier this morning. It's from um, a collection of African women's writers called Summoning the Rains and it is an enchanting story and a very powerful story about a girl and how she um, gets married quite young and some of the complications she faces in her marriage. Um, I think it's called The Knife Pleated Skirt. Um, when we were chatting earlier you said to me you actually got that story idea from a real life uh, story about a girl that you met in one of the rural areas. Exactly. That's a true life story. Most of the things there are based on true life living. Actually, I get most of my stories through the community work that I do. So this one, the knife prescate, is about a conflict between a man and a woman, but it's also a conflict between a girl and the society in which she grows. Most of the things there, I actually invented them, but the issue of gender-based violence is real. There was violence in the couple, but I got this story during the... Um, gender activism period. That's the period between, is it the first to 20th December of every year, we have the national, international days of activism period. So I got that story from Cholo district. It really happened that a man and a woman were constantly in conflict, but one of the days the woman overpowered and killed the man. That was an accident. They were just fighting. But then in the end, the relative said, no, both of you have to go into that grave. So the woman was alive, but she was uh, forced into the grave and uh, buried together with the dead man. So partially, I've taken that story, the real one, into my story, The Knife Please Skate. Malawi's going through so many changes. And, you know, we're here in Blanchard and it's a busy, bustling city. But from travelling around the country, uh, there seems to be a growing gap between the rural areas and the city areas. And I can imagine a life for a city woman as compared to a rural girl is so, so different. Mm. You're right. It's quite different. Life in the rural areas is not as easy as we imagine. Even for a girl to complete high education, it's not very easy. I feel I was privileged because I grew up with my father within Blanta. So I had the exposure to how women are developing, how women are going to school. But in the rural areas, usually when a girl uh, gets matured, the next thing is when do I get married? So... Of course, there have been efforts by various uh, NGOs trying to encourage girls to go to school. Those that have dropped early through early marriages or early childbearing are being encouraged back to school. But the battle is still on. It's quite a tough battle for a girl to do well in school in terms of uh, the way our nation is in the rural areas and in towns. Actually, sometimes the parent might say, what's the benefit? You go to school. Uh, you complete your form four, I cannot manage to take you to a college, so what's next for you? So 
it's really not as easy as it is. So it requires girls to be modeled. We are trying as a nation, there are models that go into the villages. I also try when I get back to my home, encouraging fellow girls to go back to school, to work hard in school. And some, even after they are married, they are going back to school. But the pace is quite low compared to here in towns. And that's interesting you say that when you think that Malawi uh, was one of the first countries in Africa to have a female president. Yes, it is. Malawi was really privileged to have a female president. I know it was because of the death of the previous president, Dr. Bingwam Tarika, and she tried her best to work hard in the nation, and she still poses as a model. And storytelling was a huge part of uh, Malawian culture up until, up until recently. Um, different tribes collected stories, didn't they? Indeed, Malawi is one of the sources of stories, culturally. And most of the old people still tell their stories. Mm. I live with my mother. I've brought her from the village. She's in at our home in Machinjiri, Area 12. She still has some of the stories. I even ask her, tell me one of the stories. So I write them down. But the storytelling is currently a bit going down. So it's one of the things our, us as poets we are trying to promote. Mm. Actually, on the 21st March, that was World Poetry Day, we encouraged women to come up with their stories. Uh, there's a woman storyteller, Nancy Piri. She told some of the stories. And there are young women that we are encouraging to come up with their stories. We have one of the girls, Matilda Piri. She's one of the girls that I've helped to mentor to come up with her collection. She's talking about the struggles of a village girl. Yeah. So the story is Grace, the village girl. And I'm looking at um, the book, Grace, a village girl. You produced this with um, Penn International. And it's looking at some of the, um, I suppose, stories that girls in, in in, in the rural areas have and you're touching on social issues, is it? Uh, this is her personal effort. Okay. In terms of uh, writing the article and assisting on editing, we did. But as I earlier alluded to, it's not easy to come up with a, your own collection because of publishing costs. You know, to come up with uh, with this collection, she has spent over a 500,000 Malawi kwacha, which is not easy. Yeah. So this is her own personal effort. But these are areas that we as the Penn International Malawi chapter, we are trying to promote. We would like to promote more ladies to come up with their collection. We are trying to have more ladies to be active in writing. That's what we are trying to do. Tell me, um, as I've been travelling around Malawi, um, a lot of women and men are talking to me about the problems with electricity in the country mm. and that, you know, if you're in city areas, you may have access to electricity. But less than 10% of Malawians have access to electricity. So when you think at night time somebody wants to read or maybe write their own stories, it becomes a huge challenge. It's almost hard to get your head around, isn't it? Mm. It is. You're quite right. The problem of electricity in Malawi, we have it. Um, the supply of electricity is an inadequate for the country. I know because of the rising population and maybe the source of electricity that we have here in Malawi might be the one that's a bit problematic. I know there are efforts by the Malawi government to improve on electricity supply even to rural areas. There is that effort. But it it is not easy. You are just right. When one is in the community, you are going to school, you want to study in the evening, using a lamp is not as easy yeah. as we can imagine. So those are challenges that we are facing as a nation. But I also know that there are government efforts to bring about genesis so that maybe we improve electrification. And even at the power sources, there are various works that are being done so that maybe by the year 2020, 2021, there should be an improvement in the supply of electricity. But supply of electricity also um, 
proves very problematic when it comes to healthcare and healthcare services. So a lot of women um, in Malawi who are either pregnant and have complications um, run into a lot of problems, don't they? Indeed, that would be a problem, and indeed it is. Whenever there's no, when there are blackouts and a woman is in delivery room, that's a challenge. But then uh, most of the hospitals, they do have gensets. That's their alternative. But we well know that gensets are quite expensive to manage. So what type of questions are young girls in schools asking you when you go around doing different types of story workshops or um, education and empowerment classes? One thing I've noted is that girls are eager. They would like to find out exactly how you have sailed through. Actually, this has prompted me to write a story towards my destiny. I've started writing right from when I was born, the little memories that I have from my parents. I have asked some of the things what my parents used to, to say to me to encourage me to go to school when I don't write my homework. I don't read what my mother used to do, what my father used to do to say, no, you have to work hard. You have to go back to school. You have to do well in school. In fact, my father called me a male name before I was born. My <laughs> father had wanted a boy. So he called me Harvey. So until I was growing up, I was called Harvey. I just appreciated that. Um, I think men are deemed stronger than we women. So I just had to say, let me be courageous. So once I go to communities and sometimes I visit secondary schools promoting girls to read, to write and to work hard in school. Most of the questions that they ask is, how did you keep yourself to complete your form four? You know, after puberty, the ego just comes.